Welcome to Jim's Take. I'm your host, Jim Vaughn. And I'm your co-host, Tyler Kennedy. Welcome to Market Minutes number two. As mentioned before, we are changing the format of our podcast. We will still be covering financial topics. The difference will be in the format. Once a month, we will cover a particular topic, for example, value versus growth style investing. Here comes the fun and exciting part. At least once a month, we'll do a speed run of current financial news headlines and explain how it impacts you or doesn't impact you. Tyler, our clients sometimes ask us, what's going on in the markets? We figured, why not create a segment on our podcast? The goal will be to give you a quick market summary of economic issues, market issues, in under five minutes. Unfortunately, we will fail to make that goal today. <laughs> uh, we have a longer topic. We have a big story, and we're going to remind everyone of the good news and our goal of remaining optimistic even when the news isn't always good. Yeah, and they oftentimes you know, only focus on the bad. So we think it's our job to focus on some of the good in there as well. But today's story, we've talked about a few words first. Bank failure immediately triggered the same recent memory of the financial crisis of 2008. That was a year no investor could ever forget. That year had some of the largest, most storied financial institutions in the world. Think Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns and others collapsed, never to return. Similarly, for anyone who has studied history, the words run on the bank immediately triggers images of the early days of the Great Depression. Surely that could not happen in this day and age. But on March 10th, all these words, bank failure, bank run, happened to Silicon Valley Bank in Northern California. In an event that has many investors scarred by the memory of 2008, wondering if the same thing could happen to other banks. An event that has only added to the fearful mood in the markets. Tyler, as you probably know, when the news broke on Friday morning, all three major indices immediately tumbled, capping off a rough week for the markets. We want to briefly explain what's going on with this semi-obscure bank and why it spooked investors. Then we want to go over and discuss what we can learn from it. Prior to collapsing, Silicon Valley Bank was the sixth largest bank in the country, holding $209 billion in assets. It's important that we remember that any time we see in the paper a value of bank and bank assets, they're probably giving us an old number, probably giving us December 31st, 2022 number. By the way, an asset to a bank is a loan. When the bank lends you money, that's their asset. It's your liability. So let's let's get a couple of things straight. If you've never heard of this bank before, it's because the bank specialized in lending money to startup companies. Fledgling tech firms, Silicon Valley breeds each year. Silicon Valley is known for these kinds of firms. Now it has the dubious distinction of being the largest bank to fail since 2008. Just want to point out, it's the 16th largest bank. You said the sixth. Oh, that, really? That's okay. Okay. So how did a large, how did this large bank suddenly fail? 
well, you've made a good point in that, and it's important because there are about five or six systematically important institutions in the in this country which have a whole nother level of regulation. The 16th biggest bank, which sounds smaller, it was $209 billion at some time in the past. How did it fail? They made too many decisions which turned out to be bad decisions. As we'll discuss this, uh, they may not have, they never look like bad decisions at the time you're making them, <laughs> do they? No. I mean, that's all of our clients who have run businesses know, all of our investors have known that they make decisions and they may turn out to be bad. They didn't think they were bad at the time. During the pandemic, tech companies saw a surge in business. This led to a host of new hopeful tech companies popping up, each flush with venture capital. What did the tech company do with the venture capital funds that they had in their corporation? They deposited them in the bank. If the local bank was Silicon Valley Bank, they put the money into Silicon Valley Bank. So the banks enjoyed their own surge, a surge in deposits. Silicon Valley Bank was one of the primary beneficiaries of this surge. While their business was booming, this was also when the problems began and had their beginnings. Like most banks, Silicon Valley Bank only keeps a fraction of its deposits in-house at any time. The rest is lent out. Again, a bank lending money is their asset, your liability. When the bank buys a bond of the United States government, they've essentially lent the money to the United States government. So the bond is their asset, the government's liability. In this case, Silicon Valley Bank purchased tens of billions of U.S. Treasury bonds. The bank thought and they thought they were being conservative. Treasury bonds historically has been, have been one of the safest investments in the world. The U.S. government backs every penny of these. Given the market uncertainty at the time, we were in a pandemic, the bank probably thought it was being prudent with their customers' money, their shareholders' money. Unfortunately, the bank forgot one important detail. While treasuries don't usually see the kind of volatility that stocks or other securities do, they are vulnerable to specific type of risk, the risk of rising interest rates. Let's do some quick math. With interest rates rising by a few percentage points, if you have lent out money at 2% and you own a bond that's paying you 2%, and the market is paying 4% on new bonds, quick math, and this is not perfect, would say that each year that your bond is outstanding, you will lose 2% of value per year. So if the bond is a 20-year bond, and interest rates are 2% lower on your bond than the current one, it looks like the U.S. government bond that you own might be worth close to 40% less than a bond that would be issued today. It's important to point out that the bond is only worth less if you sell. That 40% drawdown only occurs if you sell before the bond reaches maturity. If you buy a $1,000 bond, it has a 2% yield. It will give you 2% interest payments for the life of the bond. And then at maturity, you receive the $1,000. If you sell before then, 
you are subject to market value, which would be that 40%. Would, would indicate that it's 40% less or something like that. Yep. The, the math isn't perfect. Yeah, we know the math's not perfect. We're just using to make it easier for our listeners to understand and understand what Silicon Valley Bank had to do when they sold their bonds. The economy had changed in the last few years. Inflation skyrocketed. Interest rates jumped up. These treasuries that you purchased long ago when you thought you were being conservative, they're suddenly less valuable, and we just touched on the math. At the same time, those tech companies that profited during the pandemic and had big deposits at the bank saw their stock prices go down, business wasn't so great, and therefore the companies used the cash to run their businesses, and new deposits stopped coming in. Suddenly, Silicon Valley Bank was faced with nightmare. They had a lack of liquidity and a lack of new funds. None of this might have mattered if the customers didn't start withdrawing their money also. And of course, that's exactly what happened to the bank. Faced with their own economic distress, those tech companies and their executives started asking for their money back. Given that only a fraction of what the bank has is kept in reserve in cash, Silicon Valley had no choice but to sell their investment portfolios at a major discount. The result was a loss announced last week in their government bond portfolio of nearly $2 billion. When news of that situation got out, customers began panicking, led to a classic run on the bank. And nowadays, a run on the bank is electronic, so it can be done through a website and can be done instantly. Depending on what press report you saw, 42 or $50 million, billion, excuse me, was withdrawn from the bank on Friday. And that's why the uh, federal government took over during the day on Friday. So that's basically the story of Silicon Valley Bank. But why is this impactful to the markets? Aside from being very similar to 2008, a bank makes a risky financial decision at the wrong time. And of course, they didn't think it was risky when it first made. The financial institution is over leveraged. The logical concern of an investor is, are there any other banks out there that are going to have the same problems? I can tell you that our bank, just Columbia Bank just issued a impressive press release up to, they, they sent out a balance sheet as of March 10th of 2023, explaining their uh, financial situation. Shares of banks with similar business models have fallen sharply in the last few days. Meanwhile, investors are concerned about in recession. The Federal Reserve is raising interest rates. The unemployment numbers were issued last Friday. That was supposed to be the big story last Friday. We'll get to that in a minute. Most of the economy is in decent health, but until the economy cools down, inflation will continue to run hot, which means the Federal Reserve may continue to raise rates. In fact, last week, before Silicon Valley Bank was taken over, the Fed chairman announced that he expected to raise rates to higher than previously anticipated. Every time interest rates are hiked, the threat of recession grows larger. 
investors can be very sensitive to anything that looks like a recession, and the failure of a major bank certainly qualifies. That's where we get the turmoil we've seen in the market. That's why market volatility may keep occurring. We'll be right back after this. Yeah, that's the stories as of right now for Silicon Valley Bank. Now we're going to get to some of the other headlines that you sort of just touched on. And I'm going to, we're going to get back to the regular scheduled program essentially after doing this uh, big story. So you ready for me to toss out some headlines at you? Go. Let's see if we can get this part done in five minutes. (laughs) Unemployment rose to 3.6% in February. We happen to think the unemployment rate is an important number, so unemployment going up is typically a bad thing. However, this is still among the lowest rates, unemployment rates we've seen. Unemployment being low is generally good, so it's not all bad news. Yes, it is in fact not all bad news. In February, we added 311,000 jobs. Adding jobs is good, no (laughs) question about it. It seems the U.S. economy is fighting back. We're trying to employ more. We are, in fact, employing more people. This will help us solve other problems. And we think that we're getting closer to solving our our problems. Employed Americans is a good thing that ought to turn the markets around or at least help turn the markets around. We'll see. Yeah. A continuation of the jobs added is the labor force participation ticked up 10 basis points from 624 to 62.5. More Americans attempting to work is a good thing. Working age Americans not working is a bad thing. So as employees come out, come back into the workforce for whatever reason, uh, this is good. Uh, this ought to help with the labor picture. This is an important positive in the employment figure. This is this should, all, should also be good for inflation. And then, as you mentioned before, Jerome Powell, the Fed, Federal Reserve Chairman, gave a speech to Congress. He indicated that the Fed has to raise interest rates even higher to reduce inflation. We, we think that inflation will stick around longer than expected, than expected, and ultimately the Fed will be successful. But it'll take longer. Raising interest rates has always lowered inflation in the past. We think it'll work again in the future. The January inflation number was 6.4%. Last year, last June, it was 9.1%. So we are slowing down. The Fed clearly has more work to do to reach their target of 2%. 6.4% inflation is too high. The next CPI, the next inflation number for February is going to be released on March 14th. We're optimistic about the economy going forward. We believe that we will solve our problems over time. We're not going to solve them at once. Progress is good news. Yeah. Do you mind giving us a little bit of closing remarks of what we can learn from all this news going on and especially how it can we take this news and sort of try to implement our long-term thinking? Our clients are investors. They are long-term investors. 
So we have to prioritize long-term goals. In the wake of the pandemic, Silicon Valley Bank made too many short-term decisions that locked up their money and reduced their long-term options. We don't do that. Our our approach and our client's approach will always be to take slower but surer path to your financial goals. We proudly emulate the tortoise, (laughs) not the hare. Second, liquidity matters. You're not a bank. You don't have any place that you can go to to raise funds. You've got to do it yourself. You must contend with the unexpected because the unexpected happens all the time on a regular basis. You need quick access to the money. We define quick as within a couple of days because that's what happens. That's what liquidity is for. That's what our clients' cash reserves are for. We will always invest, save, and plan accordingly. Our long-term strategy will never be based on stories or emotions or worry. Right now, too many investors are trying to figure out when a recession will happen, what, how will this bank situation play out. Our clients are going to have significant cash reserves that they can get very quickly, and they're going to maintain their investment program because the people who run the companies you're invested in are trying to figure out their problems right now, and they're going to succeed, mostly. Other investors, we, you can see it in the markets. They're overreacting to every headline. We don't do that. We're going to muddle forward in our economy, attempting to solve our problems. That's what these business owners do. There'll be periods of time that are uncertain. They're not fun, but they're not unexpected. Happens all the time. The good news is that we'll continue to have confidence in both our long-term strategy and the road you're taking to your financial goals. You've prepared for your cash needs and you have cash reserves sufficient to meet your goals going forward. We're going to watch the markets carefully and keep you updated on what's going on. Pretty close to five minutes, Jim. (laughs) Pretty close. That's it. Please let us know what you think about the new segment. Leave us a review. As always, please like and subscribe. Thanks for listening. Bonin Co. Securities, Inc. Disclaimer. It should not be assumed that your account holdings will correspond directly to any comparative indexes or any of our existing client accounts. Investment in foreign securities have additional risks, including the risk of adverse currency fluctuations. Please remember that different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and current and future results may be higher or lower than those shown. Figures shown are past results and are not predictive of results in future periods. Share prices and returns will vary, so investors may lose money. Investing for short periods of time make losses more likely. It should not be assumed that recommendations made in the future will be profitable or will equal past performance. For the Vaughn Dividend Growth Program, performance is based on accounts that was managed for the longest period of time, and results are illustrated from inception. All income, dividends, interest, and other earnings are reinvested. Performance-based fees can only be utilized by individuals who meet the following qualifications. A natural person who or a company that immediately after entering into the contract has at least $1 million under management of the investment advisor or a natural person who or a company that the investment advisor entering into the contract and any person acting on his behalf reasonably believes immediately prior to entering into the contract has a net worth 
together in the case of a natural person with the assets held jointly with a spouse of more than $2.1 million at the time the contract is entered into. For the Vaughn Equity Asset Allocation Program, performance is based on an account that was among the earliest to use the program. Vaughn & Co. Securities Inc. believes that these results are representative. All income, dividends, interest, and other earnings are reinvested. There may be economic or market conditions that affect performance. Vaughn & Co. Securities Inc. buys concentrated positions for our portfolios, which may make our performance more volatile than that of broad market indexes, and our performance may diverge from an index, positively or negatively, as a result. Investments are not FDIC-insured, nor are the deposits of or guaranteed by a bank or other entity. Vaughn Asset Allocation Program and Vaughn Dividend Growth Accounts results are net of all fees, reflecting trading commissions, maintenance, custody, advisory, and performance fees, if any. It should not be assumed that the recommendation made in the future will be profitable or will equal past performance. Data and information contained in any chart used by Vaughn & Co. Securities, Inc. has been supplied by sources we believe to be reliable, but is not guaranteed. Accounts held at Fidelity Investments are covered by SIPIC.